Listen, I want to I start a, a, a couple of weeks here. I want to talk on prayer specifically. and uh, So I'm going to do a series, if you want to look in your notes, uh, uh, talking about the power that shapes the world. Because we believe that prayer is actually the power that shapes the world. So if you want to begin, you can look in your notes. And I'm going to be reading to begin from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And we will start there. So James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Here's what it says. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. One of the verses I really want to focus in on there is, is, is verse 16 where it says specifically, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Another translation says it like this. The message translation says, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. The New Living Translation says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So let's, let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would come this morning, that you would bring life to your word, God, because we know that the most important thing in this world is our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we bring our prayer to you this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts, and that you would speak specifically to each individual that's here this morning, Lord, and that you would plant your word deep in our hearts, God, that it would begin to produce a deeper walk and a deeper relationship with you, God, that we can learn and understand why prayer is so important, God, why, how vital that it is, God, and also, Father, that we can begin to see our prayers answered, God, for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So for a little while now, I've been praying and, and asking the Lord what he, wants, what, he, what, what he would have me to speak about specifically while, while Donald's beginning to take this break. And it's, it's very simple because people, as Christians, we know about prayer. We talk about prayer all the time. But the truth is, honestly, we don't always pray a whole lot. I don't know about you, but it's very easy for anybody, including myself, to get tangled up and not put the kind of priority and focus that we ought to on our prayer life. Now, uh, in the kingdom of God, we have to make sure, especially in our church, that prayer is of the highest priority because I think that we ought to live on the assumption that nothing of kingdom value actually takes place outside of prayer. Nothing in your life of kingdom value will ever take place outside of prayer. Essentially, a person cannot even be saved outside of prayer. A person cannot have a relationship with God outside of prayer. And this is why it is essential that we understand what prayer is, how important it is, and that we cannot be changed, nor can our communities be changed, nor can our church be changed without prayer. Prayer is the power that changes the world. And God has put it in place this way. So listen, I'm going to say, I've been asking people this question all week. I've been asking them, does God need prayer? Now, every time I've asked, think about that for a minute. Does God need prayer? 
Now, everybody I've asked this week, you, they either say, well, I'm not going to say because you'll, you'll stump me. Or they'll say, no, he don't need no prayer. God don't need prayer. Now, listen, my first point in your notes, I want to put it up there. I'm, I'm going to say this, all right? And then let me, let me just deal the rest of this sermon trying to unpack this for you. But my first point is God needs prayer, all right? And that's going to be difficult for you a little bit in the beginning. But let me unpack this for you because... Scripture shows that God does need prayer. Now, not in the same way that we need prayer. We need prayer because we're a mess. Let me tell you something. God is all-sufficient. He's all-powerful. In essence, He actually doesn't need anything or anyone. He can do whatever He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. But the way that He has designed His creation and this world, He's designed it in such a way that prayer is an absolute necessity. That His will cannot be done on earth unless He has a people that are actually praying in the earth. He cannot do what He wants to do. So listen, we don't want to bring shame on people at all because you've not, you've not had a prayer life. I remember when I first started praying, I was 20 years old. I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to pornography. And I began to bring my prayer before the Lord. And slowly but surely, over time, the first time I prayed, no miracle happened. The first time I prayed, I just said, God, I need to get out of here. I need to start a relationship with you. Would you help me get out of here? And that prayer began to spark something in my life that would continue a life of prayer until ultimately Jesus Christ radically transformed my life. And I'm telling you, had I not prayed that first day, I would have never made it to that place. But see, God has made this sovereign decision that, that He would design a world that it makes it a necessity for His people to prayer and we to pray and we ought to have a conviction for a prayer life going on now, now listen prayer is kind of a cultural thing and I'll tell you why is because we're really pragmatic people like for example you will you will people will start an exercise program and they'll be on this exercise pro program for one or two weeks, right? And if they see results, if they feel like they're losing weight, man, I've lost 10 pounds, I've lost 15 pounds. If they feel like maybe they're getting a little bit bulkier or something, they feel like they're getting stronger, well, they'll keep going. Why? Because they see something happening. Now, see, the problem with us is that we are so pra pragmatic and we think with such a scientific mind over here in the West that oftentimes we pray and when we don't see anything happen immediately, we say, well, that didn't work and I ain't going to waste my time. Y'all ever felt that way about prayer? I've been praying for this for so long and it feels like nothing's happening and this is a waste of time. Now, as many people feel this way and they begin to believe that prayer is not that powerful and that it doesn't produce results and, and, and there is no necessarily immediate outcome all the time. Now, listen, a lot of times the majority of prayer that you will pray, there is not an immediate outcome. Do you realize that? The majority of prayer that you pray is building a relationship with God so that He can produce a radical transformation in you that will then produce immediate outcomes. But let me put it to you like this. The, the second thing I want to say in your notes is prayer is an act of faith. Not only does God need prayer, but prayer is an act of faith. That means that you cannot verify results all the time. Sometimes you pray and it doesn't look like anything changes. It looks like nothing is happening. It looks like I've just been wasting my time. And that's why we have to step out in faith to pray. But I'll say something even different. I don't know about you, but I've prayed some prayers and seen immediate results. I remember one time uh, when, I, when I first became a Christian, I, I, I was praying and fasting for like 11 months. And like I said, I was an addict and different things. And the Lord came in and just dramatically delivered me 
And that was when I, when I was called into the ministry. And before that, if you'd have said that I was going to be a preacher and be called into the ministry, I would have said you were crazy. But the Lord brought me in, and then for the next season in my life, my dad talks to people about it and kind of jokes around because he talked about it. I would literally spend sometimes 12 hours a day praying and reading and studying the Bible. Now, I mean, I would just, I would get up, I'd just spend all day, that's what I do. And you say, well, that guy's crazy. You know, well, I, I probably was crazy. I think everybody did think I was crazy, you know, at first. And, and because, because I prayed and God set me free, but then people say, well, you know, God really didn't do this or, or anything like that. I can remember one time after, after um, I'm speaking about immediate results, because I can remember after that, I went this season where I wasn't even working. They said, I knew Clay was a deadbeat. He won't do nothing. And, and I was really spending time seeking God, and I felt like God had asked me to do that. And I got to the place where I didn't have, I didn't have much money, I didn't have anything. I was getting ready to go on this missions trip, and, and I remember uh, I, went, I went one night, and I was praying in the church that I was at. I went, and I prayed all night. And I said, Lord, I've been seeking you, and I've been, I've been praying, and, and right now, you know, here's the thing. I've been, I've been doing what, you've, what I feel like you've called me to do, but I need a little bit of money because, because I'm broke. And I'm, I'm getting ready, and I was getting ready to get a job, but at that point, I, I, didn't, I didn't have one. I was, I was young at that time. I just got out of college. Things were going on, and, and I went home after praying all night in prayer to God, and I went home, and in the mailbox that morning was $1,000 cash with my name written on it on the envelope with no postage or return or anything like that, and it just had a note in it that says that all things are possible to him who believes. So there was an immediate outcome from my all-night prayer, but here's the thing, is that in my mind, immediately what came to my mind was, well, yeah, you know, somebody just sent that because they knew I was going on a mission trip and needed it. Right? Even when God does produce immediate results, this, this, I was talking yesterday to one of my friends. His father had, had, he had been diagnosed with lung cancer and he had some spots, or at least that they found some cancerous spots in his lungs. And he prayed for him a prayer of faith. And when his dad went back to the hospital, they could not find the spots. And he just kind of came back and said, yeah, they, they didn't find any spots. And he was like, well, don't you think that's a miracle? I don't know, I guess. How, how often does that happen? That we actually, I've seen God heal people's vertebrae. I've seen God remove brain tumors in an immediate and an effective way. But when it's over, it's almost as like, well, that was just a coincidence. See, because not only does it take faith to pray, often it takes faith to affirm the results that you just prayed for. That's why it's so important that you sometimes write down what you're praying so that six months down the road when God answers it, you just don't think that it's a coincidence, but you begin to see and your eyes are open to the fact that, wow, God has been at work in my life and my prayer matters. My prayer changes things. Prayer works. And listen, Jesus said it like this. He says, ask and receive that your joy may be full. So he's saying, look, in this life, you're not receiving the full amount of joy that you could in this life. And he says, the reason being is because, one, you have not because you ask not. You're not asking me for things, and you're not receiving things from me. And even when you do ask, you don't pay much attention to it. So when you receive it, you don't actually even see my hand at work. But when you begin to pray and you see God answer prayer, there is no greater source of joy in this world. Would you agree with that? Listen, there is no greater source of joy. But sometimes I know that whenever you're praying, it, it, sometimes when you're not getting the answers that you want, it's very hard to persevere in prayer. Amen? But see, perseverance is so important. You know that if you, if you look at the church throughout history, 
every major transforming revival in every part of the world throughout history happened because a group of people began to pray and seek God. Period. What you will never find throughout church history is God moving sovereignly in a place where people had not been praying before. What I'm saying is, is that if we just continue to come to church and do the things that we always do, but we never increase and intensify our prayer to God, we will always see the same thing that we always see. Because without prayer, historically, it is impossible to see a moving, a transforming revival or a move of God without people praying. And like I said, throughout history, over and over again, you see this to be the truth. The church was born out of 120 people that prayed in an upper room 10 days without leaving that upper room. 10 days of, con of consistent prayer and crying out to God because they knew they had a promise from God. And then, then the Spirit came and the church was born and 3,000 souls were saved. And from there you see them praying and laying hands on people and people getting healed and miracles happening because they're praying. And then the church begins to fall off. And then in the Reformation in the, in the 1500s, you see Martin Luther praying, locked up in a cellar, praying and seeking God until all of a sudden God gives him a revelation and the Reformation begins. The first and second great awakening, John Wesley. John Wesley said he didn't think much of a man that didn't pray four hours a day. That's the truth. That's what he said. He said, I don't really think much of a man that doesn't pray at least four hours a day. He would get up every morning at 4 a.m. He would pray two hours in the morning and he would come home and be done with his ministry at 6 p.m. And then he would begin to pray two hours before going to bed again. And that man saw, he preached over 40,000 sermons in his life on horseback riding from town to town. And he saw thousands upon thousands of people saved and an awakening happened in, in England and also over here in the United States because of his prayer that was offered. In the early 1900s, there was a man named William Seymour. And he began to pray to God. He was a Baptist minister. And he began to pray to God and he would pray one hour a day. And then after the first year he started, he increased it to two hours a day. And see, that's the thing. After he didn't see results, he didn't say, well this doesn't work he actually intensified his prayer now now here's what I want to say is when I'm talking about this it's almost like well that's impossible we can't pray that many hours a day I just want to know are you praying at all I'm not asking you to pray four hours a day that's John Wesley I'm asking you do you have a relationship with God where you are asking God and believing him for things in your life and seeing what kind of results that he's going to bring because this is what he has called you into to release this as an act of faith. But William Seymour continued to pray. And from where he was at in Los Angeles and Azusa Street, the power of the Holy Spirit fell. The Pentecostal movement began. And from there, it continues to remain throughout the world the fastest growing sect in Christianity. And it's continuing to go. And from that point, people were sent out all over the world. But see, here's the thing is that it's always like God to wire into his kingdom something that is so foundationally important, but you have to crucify the way you think in order to do it. Because you think so practically that you have to put your mind to death in order to be able to do it. Personally, this is the reason why I think, I think that uh, God gave people the gift of tongues to pray, but people reject it so much. That's probably the most rejected teaching in Christian faith today. And God gave it to his church as a prayer language because it's something that dethrones their mind, right? Paul said that if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Matter of fact, the people who hear me saying it, they don't understand what I'm saying. They think it's foolishness. 
Amen? Why? So that you can dethrone your mind and not try to figure out how prayer works, but by faith engage in prayer and ask God for miraculous things to happen and build a relationship with God and not allow your mind to get in the way to hinder what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes you just have to, you have to crucify your ability to control things, to evaluate things, to understand why this happens. You just have to know that God has said it does work and I've called you to do it, so get into it. Now the other thing is this there's a lot of kind of theological kickback against this idea that I just said in the first one that God would need prayer now you say that some people may be like uh-uh son you don't say that God don't need nothing you better not say that God don't need a thing and let me tell you something God does not need anything but the, the issue is here's the thing God can do anything anytime he wants but he has chosen to do things in this earth through people who choose to, to make a, a choice to worship him and who choose to be in relationship with him. And he says, those people, my chosen ones, who have chosen to worship me, who have chosen to pray to me, they're going to be my instruments through which I'm going to do my will on the earth. And without them, nothing necessarily is going to be happening. Now see, most people think that God is controlling everything at all times. That everything that's going on, God is controlling it, and whatever happens, that's God's will. That's what he wants to do. But here would be my question is that, listen, and some people get fall into this pit. If God is controlling everything, and everything that is going to happen is going to happen anyway, because God's already scripted it and written out this plan, and there's nothing you can do to change it, God's will's just going to be done. And you hear people say this all the time, don't you? It's just like this kind of case, sirrah, sirrah attitude. What shall be, whatever will be, will be in life. Let me tell you something. This is the farthest thing from what the Bible says is true and accurate. What will be, will be, but I promise you, if you just let things be in your life, the world and the enemy will take over your life. And God's will will not be done in your life. People say, well, I've been going through this, but you know, whatever, whatever God's will is, that's what's going to happen. Not necessarily. God's will is released through relationship, through a prayer life. And most of what we see happening in the world around us, when our families break down, when there is sin in our life, when there's sickness, when there's disease, when there's failure, this is not the will of God. This is the will of our enemy. When people are not in relationship with God, when people are not saved, when there's poverty in our world, this is not the will of God. This is not God's will being done. This is the will of the enemy being done. And God is saying, I want my people to rise up and connect with me, the source of all life, to release change in the world around them. Amen? So what possible difference can we make if everything is already happening? But here's the truth. You know, some, one of my favorite guys to read, C.S. Lewis, he said, he said something he, he, he said a lot of different stuff, there, and most of it I like, but he said one thing that I thought was kind of goofy. He, he, said, he said, I don't pray to get an answer, or I don't pray to change things. I pray because prayer changes me. I agree with that. Prayer does change me. An outcome of prayer is me being changed. But let me tell you something. I pray to get an answer. Y'all didn't amen me right then. Oh, don't be talking about C.S. Lewis like that, man. I pray to get an answer, and I pray because I believe that my prayer literally changes things. That people's lives, my family, 
My, my spiritual life hangs in the balance of whether or not I have a prayer life or not. I can sit back on my laurels and never pray again, and I promise you I would begin to backslide and move away from God and move away from what God is calling me to do. And not only that, but I would not be able to impact the people around me in my life without me being rooted and grounded in a deep relationship with God that is founded on prayer. See, I don't just pray to, to change myself. I pray because I believe it impacts God and it changes the world. God has given us an authority. You know that in the Bible there are more if-then statements about prayer than any other place in the Bible for, 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 or the, any other topic in the Bible. For example, 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says that if my people, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Now, the first part's humbling yourself. That's very difficult because we have so much pride that we think we can do everything on our own. This, but then he says, if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In essence, what, he's, what this is implying is that healing will not come unless the people pray. I want you to consider that for a minute. Consider that. Because in our community, we want to see people change. We want to see lives transformed. But if his people do not pray, it cannot happen. Now, number three, let me say, say this to you. Number three in your notes, it says that prayer activates and releases God's will on earth as in heaven. Now, I've been saying this, but there are a lot of things that God would love to happen that will not happen unless the people of God agree with him and intercede on behalf of others to bring about his will. Let me tell you something. I promise you right now that God's desire would be that every drug acting, addict in Clay County and in southeastern Kentucky would be set completely free. I promise you that's his desire. There's no way that he desires for these people to be bound and addicted. You know, I, I work at a rehab, matter of fact, and sometimes we get people together and we, we pray and we fast for these groups. And I kid you not, there's a direct correlation between when we pray and fast for individuals and them experiencing God getting saved and healed and delivered. And, and when we don't pray for them and we're not intentional about prayer, how those, those encounters don't happen. This is why when we, have, when we have encounter retreats, for example, we pray and fast for individuals. Why? Because we believe that it begins to push back the darkness in their life so that the blindness that's over their heart and mind can begin to open up so that they can have a real encounter with God. And I believe that there's so many churches today that the reason people aren't having a real encounter with God is because there's not been enough prayer going on to push the darkness back far enough that the light of God can begin to shine in into people's hearts. I know that's a convicting statement, but I believe with all my heart that it's true. I've experienced this too many times in my own life. First, first Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says this. You put that up there, those verses. It says, therefore I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Next verse says, For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice this. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Now, we know that not everybody is going to be saved, but the truth is, is that God's desire is that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And just in case you didn't think he was sure, he says it again in another verse in 2 Timothy 3, 9. He says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But in these verses, he ties our prayer in directly with men's salvation. You believe that? See, you've never thought, you've never considered the fact that the salvation of some people's souls are actually, actually relying upon your prayers, relying upon the prayers of the church and coming into agreement with the church. Because here's what I would say. For example, I would say this, that you know, when, we, when you hear about things like street ministry, if you were to actually pray and say, God, would you have me to be involved in street ministry? You might hear him say, yeah, I would have you to be involved in that. And then you might actually hear him say, and you know what, not only that, I love those people so much that I want you to begin to intercede and pray for those people. And all of a sudden, you begin to intercede and pray for those people. And as you do intercede and pray for those people, your heart is supercharged with the love of God, with the power of God. So that when you go down there, you're not fearful and you're not afraid to speak, but your heart begins to beat out of your chest. And the love of God on the inside of you begins to compel you because you've now aligned yourself with the will of God and his desire to save these people. And you're not at home sitting on the couch watching TV and eating tater chips, but you have aligned yourself with the will of God. And now God is empowering you to bring salvation into someone's life. Y'all didn't name me on that either. Y'all good with me so far? I know this is a convicting message because, because it challenges us in the very place where sometimes we're the, the, we're the, the weakest. And we put, everybody is there. there. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have, to be, I have to be reminded by the Spirit, Clay, I know you're praying, but I need you to draw nearer because I, I want to show you some things. I want to empower you to see some things and to do some things. And you have to begin to come closer to God. See, James 5.16, it said the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, James is doing a play on words here because effective, the word there is the same word we get for energy. And whenever it says accomplishes much, it's the same word for energy right there too. What he's literally saying is, is the energized prayer of a righteous man energizes much. The kingdom energized prayer of a child of God releases kingdom energy in the world around them. Y'all get that? So I have, a, I have an ability right now in my prayer to begin to transform the places where I live, the places where I go, because my empowered and energized prayer releases kingdom energy throughout the world that otherwise would not be released unless I pray passionately and fervently. And some people say, Bill Johnson, he says something that I really like. He says, uh, he says that casual prayer gets casual results. When you just pray casually, you get casual results. But when you are moved deeply in your heart and you're passionate about prayer and you begin to persist in prayer and intercede in prayer, all of a sudden you begin to see this energizing force begin to be manifested through your prayer life. And see, this is what God wants to do in us. He wants to bring that kingdom energy to transform things. Now, see, God could have set the world up in any way that God wanted to set the world up, but he chose that relationship would be at the center of every single thing that goes on in this world. Relationship is what this entire world is all about. Jesus said all of the law, all the commandments, everything, what? Based on two relationships, you loving God and you loving your neighbor. 
You can fulfill those. You fulfill all of the law and the prophets. It's based on relationships. But I don't know if you know this or not, but relationships are all about communication. If I'm not communicating with Andrea, I promise you she'll let me know. Guess what? The Holy Spirit will do the same thing in your life. If you're not communicating with your Father, if you're not communicating with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will let you know you're not communicating with me. How can I share with you what I want to share with you if you're not communicating with me? I need to speak with you. And because relationships are at the center of all of God's design, see, it's through this relationship that God has chosen to release His power in the earth. And I promise you, without that, without our relationship with God, without prayer, the powers of darkness cannot be destroyed. They will not be destroyed. Jesus himself was God in the flesh, was he not? He was God in the flesh. He could have come down here and done anything that he wanted to. But what you notice is him getting up early to pray. You notice him spending all night in prayer to the Father. And he had such a relationship with the Father that he went about destroying the works of the devil and doing good to all that was around him. Ian e. Bounds says it like this. This is, this is based on the, 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 the name that I gave for this sermon series. God shapes the world through prayer. God shapes the world through prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be and the mightier the forces against evil. And he is exactly right. Amen? The more prayer there is in the world, the better off the world will be and the mightier the forces against evil based on this prayer that is producing this. Now, Jesus even, he taught us to pray like this. He taught us to pray like this. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Now, he wasn't saying just go through a list, but he was saying this is, this is a style of prayer. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What he's saying is when you come into prayer, the first thing that you want to do is set apart the name of God. Make God's name holy. Look, separate God's name from your politics, from your own personal desires, from what you want to see happen. Separate God's name. And in the Old Testament, God reveals himself through his name, right? In the Old Testament, he's called, he calls himself Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who is our provision, the Lord who sees. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. And every name that is revealed in the Old Testament, he sums up with one emphatic statement in the New Testament when he reveals to us Jesus Christ. And he says that Jesus Christ, he is the name of God. And he is the name that is above every other name because he is righteousness. He is healing. He is provision. He is peace. He's all those things summed up in one person. And then Jesus says, so listen, separate that name that is above every other name and sanctify the name of your Father that I have revealed in myself. And then he says, the next thing you need to pray after you've set apart that name is you need to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you something. Are there broken families in heaven? Are there sickness and disease in heaven? And he's praying this. He's praying, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done, not my will, not Satan's will, but your will be done on earth, on this earth, as it is in heaven. He's saying the earth is designed to reflect heaven, and if you will pray, I will begin to release heaven on earth right now in front of you. I will heal marriages, I will restore life, I will heal sickness and disease, I will begin to change your mind, I will begin to save your lost family, I will begin to set people free from drugs, I will begin to transform people's lives because if you pray, my kingdom will come and my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do you know how hard it is to pray that prayer if you already believe that God's will is already be done, being done all the time? 
Think about that for a minute. You know how hard it is to pray that prayer if you believe God's will is already being done all the time. Let me tell you something. God wants to do all of the things that I just mentioned to you. Those things are his will. Poverty is not his will. Broken, brokenness is not his will. These things are, th this is hell coming onto earth. And he's saying you need, to, you need to not align yourself with that anymore. You need to align yourself with the kingdom of God and you need to pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, this is the reason why you say, well, we prayed that before and it didn't work. This is the reason that Jesus taught persistence in prayer. He said you continue to knock and you keep on knocking. You continue to ask and you keep on asking. Why? Because the forces of darkness has so, have so covered the world in their lies and in their darkness and in their confusion and in their sickness and in their addiction and in their pain that in order to get breakthrough spiritually, we have to persist in prayer until I like to think of it as that darkness being penetrated. And all of a sudden a gap opens up and the light of the kingdom of God begins to shine through. Because every major revival that has ever happened, including with the beginning of the church, was in a time of great spiritual darkness. And all of a sudden, God broke through on the other side because people were praying on earth. And His kingdom broke through. And people who just a moment before did not believe in God fell on their faces and began to cry out and say, we know that this is true. How does that happen? How does that change? Because people are willing to persist in prayer and not give up. Now listen, God, the thing is we think of God being all-powerful. And sometimes when we think of God being all-powerful, we think, well, that means he's controlling everything all the time. Now, that is a worldly idea of power. Because you know what kings and worldly leaders want to do? Now here's, here's what I want to say to you. What I'm saying does not mean that God is not in control. There is nothing that takes place in this world outside of God's allowance, outside of God's vision, outside of God's knowledge. He knows and sees and has everything absolutely in control, but yet he does not cause all things to happen. And ultimately, that's why he can fix anything. Because he holds it all. And he sees the end from the beginning. And he's able to come in to any set of dark circumstances. And when people pray, he's able to break in and redeem it and heal and deliver and change things. But everything that happens is not his desire. And see, we think of God, well, if he's all-powerful, that means he controls everything and everything. Like the reason I just put my right arm out there was because God predestined me to put my right arm out there. Right? No, that's not how God operates. Because the scripture says that you want to see God's power. Here's how God's power is revealed. God's power is revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says that Christ crucified is the power and the wisdom of God. Now anybody who looked at Jesus Christ crucified, they would say, that, that, that's not power, that's weakness. People killed him, how could that be power? And what he's trying to say is, is that God's power is revealed in the fact that he doesn't have to control everything. That he gives you authority, he gives you a say-so in the world and then asks you to resubmit that to him. And that's amazing. He comes to you and he says, look, I'm giving you a say-so in this world. What happens in this world, your life matters. What happens in this world, you have a say-so in it. You have the ability to either follow the kingdom of darkness and cause darkness to manifest in this world, or you have the ability to follow the King Jesus and cause the kingdom of heaven to, to manifest in this, er this earth. You have a measure of my authority and a measure of my say-so in the world, and I'm asking you to resubmit it to me. 
to use my authority to pray and to come into alignment with me so that my will can be done in your life. Jesus shares. God's power is that he shares who he is with us. And he says, I want you to participate in this. I want you to rule and reign with me. That's my fourth point, is that prayer is training for ruling and reigning with Christ. Prayer is training for ruling and reigning with Christ. Because throughout Scripture, the the goal of all Scripture is that ultimately one day when Jesus returns, this entire earth will be restored and we will rule and reign with Him and the position we hold throughout eternity will be based on whether or not we learn to rule and reign right here. Because Jesus says when you come into heaven and you are here, he will say to his servants, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many. He says that we, in Revelation 22, it says that we shall rule and reign with him forever. The scripture says that he has made us kings and queens and priests, right? Priests to our most high God. And as priests, what this means is that you can enter the presence of God, you can have conversation and communion with God, He will speak to you and empower you with His presence, and those priests would always turn and bless the people. And the Bible says that whatever they said, every assault, every controversy would be settled by the word of their mouth. This is why in that verse in the scripture that we first read in James, it says this, it says, Elijah was a man of of natural desires the same way you are. Elijah was just like us. We think of Elijah being like a superhuman or something. He was just like you and I, but yet he knew the word of God, and it says he prayed that it would not rain on the earth, and when he spoke the word of God to Ahab, immediately it stopped raining, and the heavens were shut up for three and a half years. And then after those three and a half years, he comes back and he gets a word from God. And God says, I'm getting ready to open the heavens back up. Think about this. And Elijah goes out and it says he prays seven times persistently. Now he begins to persist in prayer. And as he's praying, he sends his servant. He says, go and look and see if it's coming. His servant would come back and go, not yet. And seven times, he's being persistent in prayer. And on the seventh time, his servant says, I see the size of a cloud about the size of a man's fist. He says, the rain is coming. And I want to tell you all, listen, if you will begin to truly pray and seek God with all of your heart, I promise you that you'll begin to see the size of a cloud. You'll, be, you'll begin to see a cloud about the size of a man's fist in the spiritual realm because the rain, in a good sense, is coming upon your life when you will pray and when you will seek God and when you bring that in. But you have to use that authority. You have to use that prayer of faith in order to bring this about. See, it's always been... God's goal for us to reign with him. The last thing that I have, you guys can come to the music. The last thing that I have, number five, is we have the privilege. It's a privilege that we get to pray. But we have the privilege and responsibility to co-labor with God. To co-labor with God. See, God calls us into a relationship where we work together with God. Where God isn't just doing everything in spite of us. He's saying, well, I can't get my church to do nothing. Let, Let me just get over here and get some stuff done. That's not what God is saying. God never forces the world or you or anyone else to enter into relationship with Him. Look, God won't force His blessing upon you. God will not force His abundant life upon you. The only way that that happens is through His design, and that is through relationship with Him, and that cannot be possible without prayer. And so He calls us into this, and we have this privilege and responsibility to co-labor with Him. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says this, It says, we are God's fellow workers. 
That word fellow workers is actually one word. It's synergos. Y'all ever heard of synergy? Anybody ever heard of synergy? It's when two energies come together and they work together. So basically what it's saying is, is that we put our energy and bring it alongside God's energy. And we work together with what God is doing in the earth. And when we work together with what God is doing in the earth, all of a sudden, miracles begin to happen. Souls begin to be saved. The gospel is preached throughout the world. Transformation begins to happen because we begin to work together with God. There's a guy that has this book called Destined for, for the Throne, and he, he, he says it like this. He likens what's going on in the world to a trust fund in a bank. And he says there's this trust fund in the bank. There's all this money. There's all this resource. There's all this supply. And a person goes to the bank, but in order for all of that supply and resource and power to be released, there has to be two signatures. Got to be two signatures. The bank has to sign it, and the person coming in to get the resources has to sign it as well. And if there's only one signature, it will not be released to you. So let me tell you something. There are things that God wants to do in this earth, and his signature is already on it. In Jesus Christ, he's already put a signature on it saying, I want this to happen. I want this transformation to happen. I want you to be saved. I want your broken heart to be healed. I want this community to experience salvation. I want this community to, to experience restoration. I want your family to come into peace. I want these things to happen, but I'm asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to put your signature on there as well so that I can release this to you. Now, there's some prayers that we pray that we're the only ones with a signature on it. God hasn't put his signature on some things because sometimes we come to God in prayer and we ask for selfish things. But when we know who Jesus is and what he has done, we know the will of God. And so we can come to him and we can say, God, I can see in Jesus this is your will on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to make, we're going to sign our name to it and say we're going to persist in prayer until we begin to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here would be my question to you in closing. Just close your eyes for a minute. Where does God want you to intercede now? You think about this right now, and it's a message about prayer, but, but it's so important that we learn how to respond. Who would God have you pray for? What would God have you pray about even in this moment? You know, the scripture says that we are, we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus will not do anything on this earth except his bride comes into agreement with him. Even in the New Covenant, you know, or in the, in the Old Testament, Genesis, it says that God made Adam a helpmeet in the King James Version. It literally means a power-facing opposite. And that's what we are to Jesus. We are a power-facing opposite Jesus. That means that we as Jesus' church and as his bride and as his body, we stare him in the face in prayer. We stare Jesus in the face in worship. I want you to look into his eyes right now. And I want you to listen to what he's telling you. What is he showing you and saying, this is what I want you to pray for? Because I want this person to be saved. I want this person to be healed. I want this person to be delivered. I want this church and this community to be strengthened. What is he saying to you? And now when he says that to you, he's saying, because if you don't pray, no one else will. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture, there's many things that God wanted to do, but he could not do it because he could not find one person to stand in the gap.
He couldn't find one person that would pray what he was asking them to pray. So right now, I just want you to consider that. I want you to consider what God's asking you to pray. Just, just to see as a show of hands. Everybody's got their eyes closed right now. If you're in here and you say, I feel like the Lord is asking me to pray for something specific, would you lift your hand? See, it's as simple as that. But now what I would say to you is, is, is Jesus also says he wants you to persist in prayer. And with your eyes closed, I just want to ask one last question. If you're in here this morning, I'm not going to call you out or ask you to come forward, but I just want to know that if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you've been outside of God's plan for your life, you've not known uh, what a real relationship with Jesus is like, and you say, look, I would love to commit myself to the Lord right now, and I would love to be saved and know that I'm forgiven of my sins and ask God to help me and, and start something new in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and let me know, let me know that, that you want to start that. I see you. I got one of you. Anybody else? I see another one. That's good. That's good. So listen, here's what I want to pray. I want, I want those that raise your hand. I want everybody just, just, let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I confess my sins to you. Everybody pray with me where you're at. And I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer me. I'm cleansed by your blood, Jesus. And I offer my life to you now. And I come into agreement with you. And I ask that your will would be done in my life, on earth, as it is in heaven. I renounce Satan. I renounce the powers of darkness. No longer will I walk in his will but I will walk in the will of Jesus Christ. Fill me with your spirit. Save me. Give me strength to continue. And show me the path that you have for my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Here's the, other, the last thing I want to do. We're going to worship. And you know, I know, I know sometimes people get nervous or antsy or whatever. If, if you want to leave, you're free to go. But I want to provide people with an opportunity. I really feel like the Lord wanted me to do this. Uh, but, but I want to provide people with an opportunity to be prayed for. And I want to anoint you with oil. Because that's what the scripture said in what we read. It says, it said that if, if is there any sick among you, let, the, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. And anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And it says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. In Isaiah 10, 28, it says that the yoke of the enemy shall be destroyed because of the anointing oil. I know it seems goofy to the natural mind, but there's something that happens when, when, when the people of God anoint others with oil in the name of the Lord. And they pray, not a prayer of hope, but a prayer of faith where they believe that what they pray for is going to happen in that person's life. And what I saw was, and it, this is what I want to do as well, is it's just people that needed healing in their bodies or needed healing in anything, but also for families. I know, I know my stepmom, she said she wanted prayer for our family. So why don't you, why don't you come up, Shirley, just to get it started here. I'm going to pray for you. See, I can do that to her because she's, she's my stepmom. You can do anything you want to your stepmom. 
but I'm going to let them start that process. And I want, I want Brian to come forward and, and Tina and some of, some of our elders of our, of our church, if, if some of you all would come forward, anybody who needs prayer, please do not leave this place without us praying over you and anointing you. If you need healing, if you need something going on in your family, but I also, I, if you would, if you say, I would just like to bring my family up and I want you to pray for my family, come together as a family and let us pray for you and let us ask God to do something new in your life. Amen. All right, y'all can come forward. We're going to pray for you guys.